Uh, greetings, subscribers. It's uh, <laughs> oh, this is a premium. This is a premium. Ah, yeah, hello. technically. I hello as I lift my beer with my pinky in the air. <laughs> We're being fancy today. <laughs> my two. We're here beer. for another heritage moment. It's been, I believe, I call it heritage. Ah, of course, yeah. yes. Uh, it has been. Let me just check here. Wow, uh, almost a month to the date uh, since our last Heritage Minute, which was about the peanut butter incident. That was a fun time. Don't you remember those good days, everybody? I honestly, it, that was only a month ago, but it feels like years and years ago. Um, it was a simpler time. It was a better time. Uh, but this month, we're going to be talking about a pair of incidents that relate more closely to all the insanity that is happening in the outside world now. Um, one of which had the kind of far-reaching global political uh, ramifications that the current COVID-19 pandemic that we're living through That's right. has on us We're right talking now. about the Marty McSorley incident. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the other, we're doing something a little bit different this week because, or this month rather, because we're going to do two different stories uh, that loosely connect because I th the, the first one that I wanted to do is just kind of so dark and depressing that I didn't want to hold up the entire episode on it because it's going to be hard to talk about and hard to riff on without uh, seeming like just monstrous assholes. But uh, the second one is a little bit more light. So for those of you that haven't already figured, out, figured it out, we're talking about the 1919 Stanley Cup final that was canceled due to the Spanish flu outbreak and the 2014 mumps outbreak <laughs> <laughs> that uh, generated the famous photo of Sidney Crosby where he looks like he's <laughs> chewing on a bunch of golf balls. I gotta open that right now. The famous picture of Sidney Crosby where he looks like uh, the dude from Family Guy. <laughs> Quagmire, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what? Holy, yeah, that looks like me when I got my wisdom tooth removed. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> the worst. I when I got when I got my wisdoms out, I was I think thirteen, and I also had three other teeth taken out at the same time because I had braces and I had to get braces and shit, and I had like crowding. So my face, like I literally looked like Cartman. <laughs> like I just I had like cheeks out to my. Like out past my ears, it was it was brutal. of the three of us. You are definitely a Cartman in this situation. So <laughs> fuck. I in terms that, of evil, your evilness, <laughs> I am the most evil yeah. of the three yeah. of us. It's true. So just to set the scene for the my article about the nineteen nineteen, I think JD is Kenny Stanley Cup final. Oh yeah, JD's obviously Kenny. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know the difference between the two other guys in South Park because I. I don't know that there is much of a difference, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. Uh, anyways, South Park sucks. So yeah. moving on. Um, just to set the stage for what the NHL was even like back in 1919, because there's... It was a stupid time. <laughs> it was a very stupid time. There's a lot of just extremely confusing things. And, um, you know, it's, it's also just important to get a sense of what the world was like back then. Um, you know, if... if, uh, if the Canucks won in the Stanley Cup four years ago, and the season got canceled like this year. You know, it wouldn't be 
I'd be like, ah, that's okay. It's, I, I can handle like no hockey for a little while, which was the case in 1919 because millionaires won a cup in 2015, right? That, that is in, in 1915. That's right. And um, I'm actually glad you brought that up because one thing that's important to note about this period in hockey history uh, is that the NHL was one of a number of ho- pro hockey leagues that were all kind of competing with one another. And uh, they were, I guess you might say, the most legit of the pro hockey leagues, but not necessarily the most decorated. Um, there was the Pacific uh, Coast Hockey Association, which was the league that I think produced the most Stanley Cup champions during this period. Hmm. They pro- they produced that Vancouver Millionaires team that won a lot of won a lot of. I don't I don't know if they won a lot of Stanley Cups, but they won one Stanley Cup yeah. and dominated their own league you know, gave birth to the sort of legend of Cyclone Taylor, who's still a fairly popular, like, folk hero mm-hmm. in uh, around these parts. Also, the millionaires were in this 18, 1918 <laughs> Cup, and they lost in the, whatever the conference final would have been. Oh, uh, damn. Yes, yeah. Fun fact about Cyclone Taylor, which I feel like <clears throat> would have been brought up on the show uh, in the past, but I guess it hasn't. He was, like, one of... He also moonlighted as a federal immigration official and so he oh, that sucks. he was the the first immigration official who stepped aboard the komagata maru to tell holy to, shit to tell them to, fuck oh off, to tell them to fuck off i swear to god that's amazing it's true that's unbelievable <laughs> yeah this this period of of hockey history is actually completely fascinating and i, I wish i knew more about it because it would it would add some nice color to the story we're going to talk about. But yeah, some things to know about hockey back then. The NHL is a brand new league. This is actually the first, I think, season that it exists in its sort of capacity as the one of the premier uh, hockey pro hockey leagues. Um, let me just pull up the article here um, from the Wikipedia article on the 1918-19 season. Um this was the second season of the National Hockey League. While at first it was uncertain that the NHL would operate and the possibility that the National Hockey Association would be resumed, the unfinished business of Eddie Livingstone's Toronto and Ottawa's NHA franchises led to the NHL owners suspending the NHA again. Um, Livingstone would attempt to overthrow the NHA management and failing that attempt to operate a rival league. The preseason was filled with legal actions, deceptions, and public verbal attacks. But ultimately the NHL opened with three teams in Montreal, Ottawa, and Toronto. Now what ended up happening was that the uh, Toronto team would end up suspending their operations mid season and Montreal and Ottawa would play a seven-game series to determine who would go to the Stanley Cup final against the Seattle Metropolitans from the PCHA. Um, Just for a little bit of context as to what the world was like back then, uh, the leading cause of death that year, unsurprisingly, was pneumonia or influenza. Other causes, other big causes of death back then were tuberculosis. Bolshevism. Um Bolshevism, <laughs> uh, diarrhea, literally just diarrhea was the number nine cause of death in 1919. Um, I, and I assume like various other Oregon tray style diseases and injuries sustained in a duel with your father-in-law over a land dispute. Um, 
Uh, and another interesting thing to note about this period of hockey history, no forward passes in the offensive zone. That's so amazing uh, to me. Only in the NHL, though. Yes. Um, how the he, and CHA had the forward pass. How the fuck did you know Clearly that? the better lead. <laughs> Yeah, uh, That's amazing. the NHL didn't allow forward passes until 1929, I believe. I wonder if there's a whole thing about how, like, you know, how like it's been proven the hockey like really did start from like Micmac nations or something yes. uh, out east. Like, I wonder if they were doing the forward pass and then the British come in with their like rugby rules and we're like, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Colonialism um, briefly ruined hockey. Yeah, unsurprisingly. Colonialism is still ruining hockey, man. <laughs> um, uh, so just before I launch into the the story we're going to base this the first part of this episode around, um, I have a really fascinating familial connection to this right. that I so, learned just right now today. These guys haven't heard about this yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, when I was researching the PCHA, uh, the Wikipedia photo that um that shows up is a photo of the 1912 uh Westminster Hockey Club or whatever and i looked at this photo and i was like something about this photo seems really familiar and i was like <laughs> holy shit Enough. my i'm i'm sure my my grandparents had this photo hanging up in their house now they didn't as a as it so happens but uh the connection that i have here is actually arguably even more well, certainly more connected to what we're talking about than what I initially thought. Um, so I called up my dad and I asked him about this picture. And he goes, no, 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 that's not the picture. But there was a picture hanging up in the house. And it was the picture of the uh, Abbott and, yeah, the Abbott Memorial Cup champions from uh, the 1919-1920 uh, season. Uh, the Selkirk Fishermen, I believe they were. Um, this is so far back that you can't even really properly Google them. They, uh, the I'm elite trying. prospects page only has two <laughs> players on it from the team. But anyways, wow, JD, this, disrespectful. So around the time, like just in the aftermath of of what we're talking about, would have been the start of this season that this team went to they actually ended up competing in the Memorial Cup final but lost to I forget the I forget what the other team was but um it turns out that my great great grandfather was on that Selkirk team that Damn. played in the 1920 Memorial Cup final what um, was his name his name was James Heap and uh I can actually send you guys the photo if you want yeah sure um I'm going to send it in the group chat. Memorial, <coughs> memorable Manitobans. So that's the photo. If oh, you zoom in. To the Toronto Canoe Club paddlers. Whoa. Thank you. Yes. It's like Elliot's grandpa. I was scanning the last names to see if I recognize any of the last names from guys I know back east, but I don't that's think funny. so. So yeah, if you look. Oh, Birch. Actually, I think I know his kid. One of his like great grandsons or something. That's crazy. So, yeah. If you look second from the top left in the photo I sent you guys is is my great great grandfather. So obviously this isn't um that connected to what we're talking about because it's the year after, but here is the insane thing that does connect to what we're talking about. Oh, these about. are children. Yeah, they're 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 junior hockey players. Yeah. So wow. Oh, I thought this was like uh, you know, like U20 type situation. So uh <laughs> Jim 
Jim Heap, my great-great-grandfather, was a decently talented hockey player in his day. But his He's got bro- heaps of skill. <laughs> but his brother, Bill, was the, the true talent in the family. And he would have been on this team, but he died in 1919 uh. from Spanish influenza. Uh. Um and uh, and couldn't compete, but I I, I just learned this today. That's crazy. Um, and I c- c- kind of couldn't fucking believe it, honestly, because I knew that my um, I knew that my grandma had some kind of connection to junior hockey way back in the day, but I didn't know that it was anything remotely interesting because obviously the league's names changed like at least a half a dozen times between then and the sort of like sixties or seventies when junior hockey actually became a legit thing. But, uh, yeah, my, my great grandpa, uh, I guess was competed in the second Memorial cup ever. And, um, my great, great uncle would have as well if the Spanish flu didn't get him, which that's is wild. pretty fucking wild. Yeah. So, so that's the same Memorial cup as the Memorial cup. That, that is we, the mem- we that is- today. The Memorial Cup, yeah, oh, the, leagues, the leagues are different, and the Memorial Cup was actually, it was invented the prior year because uh, it was a memorial for hockey players who died in World War One. and oh. that's one of the craziest things about the Spanish flu is you have to remember that it came about in the immediate aftermath of a, another world historical tragedy that killed yeah. millions of people. Yeah. Um, and was actually they. I think my understanding is that part of the reason the um, flu was able to spread globally was because the the war was kind of like one of the first instances of a global like global, global traveling travel. and yeah exactly. <laughs> so and um, it, and what's the what's that? I don't know the whole story, but like it wasn't from Spain. It was just that Spain reported on it first or something. I think that's Spain that's my didn't understanding. Have wartime too. censorship. So, like, the Allies censored all these uh, the flu because you don't want, like, people buying war bonds to be like, why the fuck do all our soldiers have the flu? Yeah. They're like, so Spain's like, yeah, this flu is really bad. Apparently it started in Kansas, so we should have to worry <laughs> about that. Yes. Um, it, it, it is. It did start in, in, it did start in Kansas, as we'll get to in the article here. So I'm going to pull that up. Um, I can close some of my tabs about the PCHA and other things like that, because I now uh, don't need that information anymore. Um, no, thanks for telling us that. That's really sweet. Yeah. I tried to do, I, I, I honestly, this was basically the podcast equivalent of cramming because I literally did not do any research for this at all nah. until uh, Elliot texted us at noon being like, Oh, let's record it too. And I was like, okay, I have, I have two hours to learn everything I possibly can about the Spanish flu hockey before 1930. And, um, you know, the PCHA and my own family history. So if I get anything wrong here, I apologize. I'm, I'm speak. I try to highlight where I know things for sure and where I'm speculating, Mm. but, um, no, that's amazing. Like I said, Uh, I'll try my best. Uh, any listeners, uh, definitely if you have, any stories like this, somebody way past in your family, like, you know, played for whatever. Uh, let us know in like the replies to this, uh, to the tweet of this or whatever. Like, yeah. Uh, like if one of your great, great granduncles was a teammate with Newsy Lalonde on the Renfrew <laughs> Creamery Kings, a real hockey team <laughs> that existed. Let us know. These old timey names of players and, 
and clubs are one of my favorite things in the entire world. Could you imagine like the modern Vancouver corporate like smaller hockey teams? It'd be like the fucking Hootsuite Hounds and the like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, the Island Owls, the the Island Dairy Farms, uh, <laughs> something, <laughs> the Island Farm Soft Serves. <laughs> That's one thing I really respect about like minor league baseball is that they're willing to have just the dumbest team names. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's true. That's so yeah. Like there literally is an Albuquerque Isotopes team. Actually, that's that's nice. Yeah, like uh, actually after the Simpsons lovely. joke, that's lovely. So uh, the article I'm going to be basing this around, and we may um, parenthetically cut some of this because I did not read the entire article, so there might be long swaths of this that I don't actually want to keep in the episode. But the article that we are looking at today is called The Forgotten Story of How Spanish Flu Tore Apart, the 1919 Stanley Cup Final. It's by uh, Joan Neeson, and it was published in The Guardian, um, which is nice. It's nice when there are hockey stories written by someone who's not so deep into hockey that they kind of forget how to write for normal people. Mm -hmm. Right. The disease known as the Spanish flu was first reported in North America in January 18, 1918 in Kansas. Imagine like trying to explain that to someone like it's called the Spanish flu, but it originated in Kansas. <laughs> By the time owners and organizers began to prepare for the league's second season, the flu was becoming a specter. A specter is haunting Kansas. <laughs> Due to the virus, only three delegates were able to attend an October 1918 meeting that was required to transfer team ownership and settle on the final number of teams in the league. That same month, Hamby Shore, a star player for the Ottawa Senators, died from the Spanish flu. The rest of the fall... Well, the Ottawa Senators have the worst fucking luck with these virus today. <laughs> yeah, you're right. They, it just Any Ottawa Senators fans here, your team has been cursed for 102 years. So I actually think the Ottawa Senators might be the saddest franchise in the NHL. It's yeah. taken me a while to, to kind of, because there are a few teams that you can kind of look at, like Buffalo and Vancouver's up there too. But Ottawa's probably got to have it the worst, especially considering they're like one of the only teams to have a guy die. Uh, and, you know, he didn't even get to make it to the Stanley Cup finals either. Like at least the at least the Montreal and Seattle guys get to say that they like played in the only Stanley Cup final that ever got canceled. Um, yeah, always second best. Ottawa Senators, <laughs> always a bridesmaid, never a bride. Uh, the rest of the fall would see deaths across sports in North America. A famous curler in Manitoba, an American League umpire in Boston, the president of the Alberta branch of the AAU, the secretary of the Montreal City Amateur Hockey League, and the Eastern Hockey Association. News about the league planning for its season was printed next to columns advising citizens to wash their hands, keep healthy diets, and find cures for the flu in nature. <laughs> I, uh, I'm just enjoying thinking about what those cures might look like. Are they asking people to walk into the fucking sea or something? <laughs> I mean, remember, this was 1919. The cure for syphilis back then was like, inject mercury into your into your dick so <laughs> yeah get some over the over the counter meth yeah. all good save supply baby Ed evidence seems to prove that this is a germ disease <laughs> spread principally through by human contact chiefly through coughing sneezing or spitting the leader telegram in eau claire wisconsin wrote 
So avoid persons having colds, which means avoiding crowds, common drinking cups, roller towels, etc. <laughs> Sorry, did people all used to like get together and share one cup and a towel? <laughs> was that a thing that It was a hard did? time. You just had the one town towel after your <laughs> monthly bath. The hockey bench has like the one shared Gatorade squeeze bottle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You're right. I, I shouldn't I shouldn't make fun because that kind of still happens, so uh, bowling alleys, the sites of competitive tournaments, were mandated to close. I understand the preparations are being made for different rugby and other games this week, Toronto Health Officer Dr. Charles Hastings said. Uh, and then he just goes on to talk a little bit more about some of the precautions that were being taken. Still, NHL play began on the 21st of December 1918, in part because of the minimal crowds it drew compared to today. Attendance numbers from 1918-1919 aren't readily available, but for context, in 1926-27, Ottawa averaged 85 fans per game. And nothing has changed since. Yeah. <laughs> hey Hey! <laughs> At the time, the NHL season was divided. 70 of those fans were Toronto fans, so. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, poor Ottawa. Somehow in, somehow in an article where uh, the main crux of it is that two Montreal Canadiens players died in the Stanley Cup final, the Ottawa Senators are still the team that gets owned the most. <laughs> like, they've already gotten mentioned twice as, like, being very, very sad. Um, in a Guardian article, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's the funniest thing is this person probably has no idea that, like, how cursed Ottawa is. At the time, the NHL season was divided into two 10-game halves, and only three teams would compete. The Senators, the Montreal Canadiens, and the Toronto Arenas. Okay, can we just talk about how stupid of a name the Toronto Arenas is? Do you think maybe they're the only ones who had a proper arena? Pro- possibly. I mean, yeah, that, that would actually make sense. Be I will say, though, the Toronto, the, the Arenas jersey, like the vintage jersey, is really sweet. It's like, a good anytime jersey. I play- Anytime I played Chell and played as Toronto, which I regrettably have done a few times, I played with that jersey because it just looks sick. Oh, yeah, that's nice. But yeah, stupid, stupid ass name. The Canadians won the season's first half, finishing with a 7-3 and record. The defending Stanley Cup champions, Toronto, struggled, winning three games in the first half. By the time they announced their intention to shudder amid chaos behind the scenes after 17 games, they had logged only two more wins. NHL president Frank Calder convinced the arenas to hold on for an 18th game, but that was as far as they or the regular season would go. The league pivoted, announcing that Montreal would face Ottawa in a seven-game series to determine which team would advance to play the Pacific Coast Hockey Association champions in the Stanley Cup final. Montreal won that series four games to one. (laughs) Some things really never do change, eh? That's that's what you call a Dustin Penner sweep. (laughs) (laughs) Fans, if uh, if you haven't heard our story about Dustin Penner yet, and if it hasn't been out yet, you'll you'll hear it. You'll get that later. Yeah, you'll you'll definitely get that. Um, <laughs> just as an aside here, um, I guess the Calder Trophy is named after Frank Calder. Can we stop with the whole like naming trophies after the shittiest people in the history of the game? Like we already yeah, give... like the Mark the Mark Messier Leadership Award. <laughs> yeah, well, there's that, but there's also the Con Smythe, who like Con Smythe is one of the just most notorious pricks in uh in sports history. I I don't know anything about Frank Calder, but he probably sucks too. Um. 
Montreal won that ser- series four games to one. In the one game they lost, fans of the Senators threw lemons and turnips onto the ice. <laughs> Aiming for Montreal's Burt Corbo, who had levied <laughs> against one of the Ottawa players. We'll remember some guys. Yeah, let's remember some guys. Uh, who doesn't remember Burt Corbo? <laughs> Still, Ottawa couldn't make a comeback in the series, and the Canadians players packed their bags for Seattle, where the series would be played against the hometown Metropolitans. Seattle had an interesting journey of their own to the final. They had faced the Vancouver Millionaires in a two-game playoff without their star player, Bernie Morris, who was arrested for draft dodging hours before the start of the series. <laughs> That's amazing. I know. Uh, that was the one fact that I remembered. I guess we. I guess you might say that 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 uh, if the Vancouver Millionaires have had 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 Bernie, they would have won. <laughs> um, I just want to say this Bernie Morris guy sounds way cooler than. Uh, uh, fucking Cyclone Taylor. We should be we should be naming sports <laughs> stores after him. Cyclone Taylor probably had that guy arrested. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably. Uh, they still squeezed through seven five on aggregate. So I believe that back in these back during this time, like there were some leagues. Like I I I know the um the league my great-grandfather competed in, the winners were determined by aggregate number of goals rather than, like... It's very soccer-ish. It's very soccer-ish. It it makes sense, all the rules, like, taken over from soccer. Yeah. Yeah, and other British sports. I have to say, though, there's a part of me that kind of likes the aggregate goals thing because just because of, like, what it would what it would do to your te- your sports like entertainment value because it would mean that everybody would always be going for it. Yeah. Yeah. Like they would yeah. always be trying to score as opposed to just having all these games that um you know that that the last like 20 minutes or whatever is just guys like along the boards kind of grinding it out, pucks get lost in their feet or whatever. I don't know, I don't hate it. Um mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. think I would like the NHL to go back to it, but <laughs> There's a place for it somewhere in an all-star game or something or yes, or, yeah. or a play-in if we ever do that. Totally. Like yeah. a three-game play-in based on uh, aggregate goals would be fun yeah. um, because it wouldn't really matter like that much. Now it was time for the finals. The, Mount- <laughs> the Metropolitans blew out the Canadians 7-0 in game one before Montreal won game two. Seattle were on top after game three and after a scoreless tie in game four, the Canadians came back to win game five, tying the series at 2-2-1. Two, two, and one. So I guess they used to have ties yeah, in so the Stanley Cup final back then. I'm going to take over for a second. On the Wikipedia article for this, it says that game four has been considered one of the greatest hockey games ever played, ending in a 2-2 two, two tie after 20 minutes of overtime. Which, who the See? fuck thinks that is one of the greatest hockey games of all time? Uh, well, I, you weren't there. Well, <laughs> Yeah, two two I mean, tie. I don't. No one scores. <laughs> no forward passing. I Great buy. I buy, I buy it. Honestly, uh, I I am one of those guys who wishes ties were back. I oh, wish yeah. ties were back too. Yeah. yeah. No, I would way rather have ties than than shootouts. Shootouts are dumb. Yeah. Um, that's shootouts are for babies. This is one of those things where like. I talk to a lot of Americans who like the shootout, and I'm always like, "That's such a fucking American thing." 
I don't usually do the whole like I don't like to slag on Americans that much as a Canadian because it's yeah, like it's... smug Canadians are terrible and Canada's not better than the states really. Um, it's just better by um, way of having way less people basically. Um, yeah, yeah. But like the th- there is something unique in the mind of Americans that to me feels like it's like well we have to have a winner. It doesn't matter if the outcome is fair or has anything to do with what happened over the past sixty minutes. We just have to crown a winner and a loser, even mm-hmm. if it's based on this thing that like has absolutely nothing to do with you know why we're all even here. And I will say that shootouts are fun when you're at the game, but they suck. Get rid of them. They suck at home. Yeah. They are way more fun live. And like, I also think that it kind of diminishes the fun of international hockey. Yeah. Yeah. If that makes sense. Because like international hockey has shootouts, but they also have a point system that makes it so that their shootouts are usually like worthless. Yeah. Worthless. Hmm. But also hmm. matter because it's like the difference between, you know, you get three if you win in, in regulation, two if you win in a show, shootout, and only one for an overtime. Oh, I see. So the difference, you're. There's like yeah. stakes. Yeah, right? I feel like uh, if you haven't, if you like shootouts uh, as a as a as a rule in the, in the season, then you haven't watched hockey for a season and had to endure like what shootouts mean for competitiveness for the outcome of games. Because like, man, there's 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 some incredible games that end in like the most boring shootout. There's no there's like Absolutely. the only exciting shootouts. Fuck, I don't know, like. When they go for like twenty seven rounds, yeah. yeah. When Merrick like, Malik when scores between his legs, yeah, exactly. But that's yeah. the pro- that's like the problem with uh, shootouts is that you always see like the same five guys. Yeah. Like it, it's only fun when teams start to get forced to use guys that you'd never use under regular circumstances, and goalies have to face like Merrick Malik and have no idea yeah. what to expect. Yeah, it would be the only improvement. Sorry, last thing if we were to keep shootouts is if you limited it. Where like each player only, you're a coach and you're only allowed to use your players across the season in a shootout, like oh, a set okay. number of times. No, I think that would be good. Yeah, you should have to and that goes out of the, your opponent's yeah. shooters. That would be that would be even better. <laughs> yeah, that would be even stupider. <laughs> the best kind of better. But in the Montreal dressing room after the game, emotions were mixed. Despite winning, the team had lost one of their best players early in the game. Veteran defenseman Joe Hall had collapsed on the ice. The teams had two days off, uh, two off days, sorry. That means the same thing. I don't know why I corrected myself. <laughs> um, scheduled between games five and six. And during that break, players on both squads started to experience flu-like symptoms. <laughs> it's so funny to see the phrase flu-like symptoms yeah. used. <laughs> Like, it's like they were still using that. They're still using the term they used for what killed players in 1919 for, like, when uh, Jake Vertanen drinks the Gamer Girl bathwater. Like, when I think, until this month, when I thought flu-like symptoms, I just think of, like, oh, when Chris Tanev's out for a game or two. Like, like, fuck. Now it's that, oh, shit, is he dead? (laughs) Yeah. Like, goddamn. Oh, man. All right. Hall was already hospitalized, suspected of being infected and with a temperature of 104 Fahrenheit. And the Montreal roster was hit harder than Seattle's. By the day of game six, four more Canadians players and the team's general manager, George Kennedy, had joined Hall in hospital. 
To the public, it still seemed unimaginable that the next game would be postponed or the series canceled. The day before Game 6, oddsmakers gave Seattle a slight edge, and behind the scenes, the two teams were working on contingencies should players still be sidelined. Montreal had tried to simply forfeit the series, but the Seattle general manager, Pete Muldoon, didn't uh, want to win the Stanley Cup under those circumstances. Muldoon suggested Montreal try to enlist players from the Victoria aristocrats. Who <laughs> Jesus Christ. I fucking hate the city. It's like even worse than the Victoria Royals. <laughs> yeah, that's bad. Who played just across the water from Seattle in British Columbia. The idea was a stretch and Calder rejected it. By then, the puck was scheduled to drop in just five hours, and the teams had run out of solutions. Seattle still refused the Montreal forfeit, and the series was simply canceled. The Canadians remained in Seattle, waiting for their players and general manager to recover. Little information circulated about the players' condition, but the Winnipeg Tribune reported that Kennedy's condition was worsening. His wife was on her way from Montreal to Seattle, and the paper said that the team was considering chartering a train to take everyone, invalids included, back home. The train journey never happened. Kennedy's wife made her way west, and most of the Canadians began to improve. One did not. Hall. He contracted pneumonia as a result of the flu, and on 5th April 1919, he died in the Columbia Sanitarium in Seattle. His mother was at his bedside, but his wife and children were nearly 1,300 miles away in Brandon, Manitoba. Hall was 37 years old. Man, old. Like, yeah. I wonder if that was normal back then for players to play at at an older age. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, like I've seen photos of, uh, like when you look at old photos of old hockey teams, um, there's some pretty old guys on there. Like they look like they could be in their fifties. Yeah. I feel like they're the, like culturally things were very different back then. Like we obviously now re- we really fetishize youth and like even, you know, like the introduction of advanced statistics and stuff has made us even more obsessed with youth in sports than we already were. Um, which, which I understand because it is like, we're starting to understand now that people like, if you're, if you're an athlete and you don't have to worry about the sort of normal everyday stuff that regular people need to worry about, you do hit your physical peak a lot earlier than most people thought for a long period of time. But I feel like back then it was almost just sort of like, if you lived past 35, it was like, you were really strong. So mm-hmm. it was like, you know, it was almost like, oh man, this is an old guy. He must be like the strongest man mm-hmm. in in town, you know, because he lived to be 37. So we need to, we, he, this guy had never played hockey before. They were just like, he's old. So we have to make him an athlete. Well, half these, half these guys also were professional sports players in other leagues or in, in other sports, right? Yeah. It's kind of, it kind of bums me out that this guy isn't like more well-known because obviously there's um bill masterton is you know has the trophy named after him because he he died from um obviously he he died from an injury sustained in play so that's why he's significant but you know like there's a pretty strong case to be made that joe hall probably wouldn't have died if he pl- didn't like play in that game yeah. with uh, with like awful mm. you know coughing death or whatever mm-hmm. um Joe Hall loved hockey so much that his death, practically in harness, would, without a doubt, have been the death he would have chosen were it within the power of human beings to so choose, the Vancouver Sun wrote the day after his death. I didn't realize the Vancouver Sun was that old either. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Whenever... Whenever Joe Hall played a game of hockey, he played it for all he was worth. Though not a big player physically, the severest knocks never dampened his ardor. As recently as in the World Series, he was hit on the face... 
a terrific crack with the puck and thought it could be seen that he was suffering. He kept right on as if nothing had happened. Man, people wrote really fucking weird. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that's a bad takeaway from what was actually like a very lovely, a very lovely uh, story about someone who got to die doing what he loved, which is very romantic, actually. Um, Hall was eulogized in papers across Canada where he'd spent most of his life after immigrating with his family from England as a toddler. The Winnipeg Tribune called him one of the greatest exponents of the hockey game and a remarkable and brilliant athlete. It continued, Joe never spared himself while in a game. He he always gave his best and never hesitated to mix things. (laughs) That's an interesting... I I wonder if that's the 1919 version of, like, mix it up. Yeah, I think so. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It is a wonder that a player who received so many hard jolts and slashes as he did could continue in the game for so long. The Montreal Gazette described how each summer Hall worked on the railroad, which allowed him him to purchase a home for his family and leave them in comfortable circumstances. After his death, his body was shipped back to his hometown in Manitoba, and the Stanley Cup headed back east as well. It returned to Toronto, the previous winter, where the team had disbanded. The trophy is still engraved with words that detail a tumultuous year. 1919, Seattle Metropolitans, Montreal Canadiens, series not completed. And that's the end of the article. Um, honestly, really fascinating story. More so than I even would have expected when I initially started researching it. I am mm-hmm. glad that I was able to find such a good article and uh, that it actually had some some light touches and some funny uh, moments, mm-hmm. despite the fact that it's a very um, obviously a, a ultimately a very dark and sad story. But I think there's something there's something kind of like didactic about that that I think we can take from the moment right now. That like even when things are really really terrible in a way that uh, people can't understand, there's still funny shit happening everywhere that you can poke fun at. And there's also tons of local stuff in there too. Like yeah, I mean, I, I'd never, <clears throat> I'd never heard about the Victoria aristocrats. No, me neither. That's hilarious. Yeah. It'll be funny. Like every time, like it's your team and they lose, you just go, "The aristocrats." <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know why I know that that bit. I think I watched well, a documentary a movie made about, about it. Right? Yeah, and I don't know why I watched it. I was like ten years old. <laughs> what the fuck was I doing? <laughs> Wow, that's crazy. I'm just picturing a version of the aristocrats joke that, yeah, that's like, and then the family had to have the husband's uh, body shipped back to Manitoba because he died playing hockey. And then then we were like, damn, what do you call this game? The aristocrats. (laughs) Yeah, That's a deep cut for people who don't get that that joke.